Do you ever feel like sometimes your joy is fragile? Uh, this happens, I see it all the time with uh, my kids. You know, I was actually talking to one of the moms about it the other day. You know, we were like looking at the kids and the, the, and we're just like walking around and all of a sudden one of them has this kind of like a breakdown, like some kind of emotional Like, all of a sudden, we're just walking along, and they're happy, but all of a sudden, they're in distress because something is happening. And a lot of times, it's, like, inexplicable. We don't really understand why it is that all of a sudden, they're having this reaction. Like, Micah does this. He has this weird thing right now where he wants his pants to be really long. I don't know. Like, he doesn't like when when they pull up. It's so weird. But every time he puts his clothes on, like, that's what he's focused on. And he's so focused on it. And he can be having, like, the time of his life. He can be playing around, like, running around. And all of a sudden, his pant, you know, will just, like, pull up. Like, his pant leg will just pull up a little bit. And he'll go crazy. He'll get really distressed. He's like, oh, my gosh. Like, what's happening? He'll start, like, he'll get upset. He'll get mad. He'll start crying sometimes. And I'm like, what What happened? You know, did you, did you bang your head or something? He's like, my pants, right? It's like, my pants are pulling. That's what he says. And it's so weird, but I see it with them. They're happy one moment. They're eating something. They're they're playing with something. They're having the time of their life. And all of a sudden, just a moment later, they're they're like so sad. Like they're depressed, right? And they're crying. Or they're so angry. This happened on Saturday. Micah like hit some kid at soccer. Just... You know, not like hit him in the face, but like he kind of like slapped him in the back. And, you know, and I had to talk to him after, like, don't, you know, why'd you do that? Because he, he got upset. He was having the time of his life all of a sudden for, you know, some kid like bumped him kind of. And then he, you know, hit him back in the back. You know, nobody really noticed, <laughs> but I noticed, I saw him. And then afterwards, I had to talk to him about it. But it's like we just have, they just, I see it in them. They just have these kind of responses, their happiness. Right? It's very fragile. And I just, I want to ask you, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're just one bad moment away from, like, collapsing? Like you're just on the edge? And yeah, maybe right now or in a certain moment you're happy or you're content or you feel at peace. But oftentimes if something else happens, something that's not quite in line with your plans or your expectations, all of a sudden, that just, it just goes away like that. It just vanishes. Now, God, he doesn't want that for us, right? He doesn't want us to be these kind of volatile, you know, fickly emotional creatures that are overjoyed one moment and then completely collapsing emotionally the next. Certainly, there are ups and downs in life. Certainly, it's not like, I'm not saying, oh, we're supposed to have some kind of fake, overjoyed, you know, sense all the time. We're not just supposed to be cheery all the time. But God certainly doesn't want us to be this kind of crazy roller coaster that we feel like we can fall off any moment. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to have a fragile joy, a volatile joy. He wants us to have a strong joy. Right? He wants us to have the kind of joy that can take a punch and remain standing, one that doesn't just get knocked out at the first sign of distress, a resilient joy. And the question for today 
is how can we develop that kind of joy? How can we step into that kind of resilient joy in our lives? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Philippians. Uh, the letter to the Philippians. Philippians 1, um, and we're going to start in verse 12. We'll read all the way through verse uh, 26. Philippians 1, 12 through 26. But we'll take, it, we'll take it one piece at a time. Philippians 1, starting in verse 12, and this is the word of God. And it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Okay, so we're going to have three points today. How can we develop this resilient joy? And here's the first one. Focus on gospel advancement. Focus on the advancement of the gospel. Now, what's Paul's situation here? He's writing this letter from prison. Right? He's under house arrest. He can't leave his house. There's a guard chained to him all the time. You know, a rotating guard. And what is his reaction to that situation, to that circumstance he's in? The fact that he is in prison, not for some crime, not for something that he has done wrong, but for the proclamation of the gospel, that he is such an outspoken Christian that his faith has ended him up in chains. What's his response? He doesn't whine. He doesn't complain. He doesn't think, oh, woe is me that I am in this situation. This is so unfair. No, he doesn't think, I'm trapped in this house with this guard. He thinks, this guard is trapped here with me. And he has to hear the gospel from me. Right? In fact, he says, because I'm in chains, the whole imperial guard, it's become known to the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Because every time somebody comes, he's like, hey, you know why I'm here? You know about Jesus? Do you know about this gospel? This thing that could change your life? Verse, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. He says, look, people have become emboldened by the fact that I'm in prison. And so I'm happy about that. He says some people are preaching Christ. He goes on to say some people out there, some people are preaching Christ sincerely. But then there are these other guys who are preaching Christ just because I'm in chains. Basically, they're doing it to spite Paul. They're like, oh, Paul is known as the best you know, kind of evangelist around here. He's the missionary. Well, he's in prison now, so I'm going to step up and be the missionary. He's saying some people are doing it for that reason, rivalry, not sincerely. But even that, he doesn't say, hey, don't listen to those guys, or he doesn't say those guys are bad guys. He says, I don't care. He says, what do I care? All I care is that the, the gospel, the true gospel, so he's, you know, he's not talking about some kind of false prophets. He's not talking about some kind of cult or some kind of heresy. He's talking about the true gospel is going out, and he's saying, I don't care what 
what their motivation is. It's not my job to evaluate their motivation. All I care about is that the true gospel is going out. That's all I care about. What, what is it to me, right? Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, Paul doesn't have this kind of fragile joy. Right? He gets arrested. He's not like, oh my gosh, what now? Right now I can't, now I had plans. I was supposed to go on this missionary. You know, I was supposed to go on this missions trip. I'm supposed to plant this church over here. Those are noble things, right? But even in the, in the eyes of God, these are good things. It's not like he's talking about his own personal advance. He's not talking about his career. He's not talking about his glory. He's saying, I want to do these things for God. And those things have been stopped by his imprisonment. And yet, even then, he doesn't say, oh, gosh, this is terrible. A terrible thing can't happen to Paul. No matter what happens, he has joy. Now, what we are usually thinking is, what's going to advance my life? Right? What's the next step for me? What's the next step in my life? Now, you know, it's time to get. A, it's time to graduate. You know, it's time to get a job. It's time to get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It's time to get married. It's time to have a kid. It's time to buy a house. We think oftentimes in that way, right? What is the next step? What is going to advance my life forward? And oftentimes, if that's, and there's nothing wrong with thinking about that, right, per se, but if that's all there is, Right? If our personal advancement, whether career-wise or family-wise, you know, just life in general, if that's what's governing our lives, if that's the only thing that we think about, that's all that we have in the plans, everything else is just kind of added in. Well, if I have time, you know, I'll think about church, I'll think about missions, I'll think about, you know, the Bible and prayer and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's all, it's all around there somewhere. But the thing that really matters, the thing that's driving me forward is this, this personal advancement. That's, that's what I'm all about. And we get stuck in that a lot. If that's where your joy is, if that's the foundation for your joy, then you will have a fragile joy. It will be certainly up and down. You know, I, I spent, uh, I, I've shared this with you guys before, but I spent, I spent every summer from, from basically 2000 to 2010, like 10 years, you know, going overseas, like summers and a lot of winters too, like going on missions. You know, I got to go to a bunch of places, kind of see what God's doing in the world. You know, Africa, Asia, Europe, Central America, South America, wherever, around the United States, like seeing what God's doing. And I just, just something about that, thinking about, when I think about it now, I don't regret it. Right? That's the one thing I could say about, like, I, I, don't, re, I don't regret it. In fact, I'm certain, I'm 100% sure that even my flawed, inadequate, imperfect service has been used for the gospel. I can say that with certainty, not because I think I did anything good. I probably didn't. I know my motives were all screwed up and I wasn't even thinking the right way. My whole, my personal life was not in order, but it doesn't matter, right? I know that God because he's perfect and he has a plan and he has a way of working, working even our messed up 
kind of stuff, our messed up service, and using it. I, I can say with certainty that he's done something with it. And in fact, it's weird because some of those, like, there's people that I've met, I've only known them for like three weeks or a month. And I still keep in touch with them on Facebook. Right? There's, like, I literally, I, I, I talk to them probably like eight weeks of my entire life I've spent with them. You know, one guy, probably, I saw him, I, I, I went four times to, you know, Honduras. So I saw this guy probably like, I don't know. We we went uh we went a few weeks every day, like two months of my whole life. And that dude, like, we keep in touch. He, he he used to call me, like he invited me to his wedding. I couldn't go. Like like why? It's weird, right? Like why? Because there is something about caring about the advancement of the gospel and participating in that together. That there is a different kind of joy. It's not one that's, like, dependent on our... Because why do we... And we're, so we're both still Christian, me and that guy. You know, he's, he's a pastor, actually, now. And when I think about... Like, when we think about our time, to, it's really grounded in the foundation of the joy of Christ. Not something we created. Not our shared experience. Not just our own thing. Let me... You know, and I'm not saying we have to all go overseas. I'm not saying that that's, that's not the point of this, you know, that that's the kind of thing that we have to do all the time. Um, but let me just, let, so let me ask you this. Would, would your tomorrow be different if your driving question, right, the thing that you think about, your advancement, is what will advance the gospel? Like, what, how am I going to advance the gospel today or this week? Or this year? Like, what's going to advance? How am I going to participate in the advancement of the gospel? Or what will advance me as a person who becomes somebody who advances the gospel? How does my life serve that? Does it at all? I think this puts a different spin on the way that we see the world and the things that happen to us. Like, really... Because I encourage you, you know, like, does my car advance the God? Does my laptop advance? Does my phone or the way that I use it, right? The way that I spend money, the way that I work out, you know, the way that I have relationships, the way that I think about those relationships, the way that I study or work, like, do these things. And I, I, I say this not as a throwaway Christian phrase, but like a throwaway, oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the Christian mantra. That's what you're supposed to think about as a Christian. I'm, I'm saying it seriously, <laughs> sincerely, because the fact that we don't think about life that way contributes to our fragile joy. So that's the first point. That mentality is what makes Paul's joy so resilient. Uh, focus on the advancement of the gospel. Gospel advancement. Invest in it. Plan it. Prepare for it. Rejoice in it. Here's the second point for today, how to build this kind of resilient joy. Focus on God's approval. God's approval. It says, uh, let's read on. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Okay, so he says, yeah, you know, I'm in chains, but I don't care because I know it's pushing the gospel forward. And then he says, and I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to continue to rejoice. I rejoice in the fact that the gospel is moving forward. I also rejoice in the fact that I know that this is going to result in my deliverance. I know ultimately that I'm going to be delivered here. Now, that word deliverance in the Greek is the word soteria. It means salvation. But Paul's not talking about his eternal salvation. He's talking about something else. Um, actually, if you look in, this is Job 13, uh, he uses a similar Greek construction here. It's actually the exact same construction in Greek. It says, this will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. And so what he's actually saying, and he's using the same construction there, but he explains it. Job also is not talking about his eternal salvation. Right? If you don't know the book of Job, the situation of Job is that he's being put through this suffering basically because God has a bet with Satan. And Satan says, I bet you that if you take away stuff from Job and if you put suffering in his life, he's going to curse you. And God basically says, no, he's not. And God has proved right, ultimately, because Job doesn't. And he, remain, he kind of holds on to his righteousness But Job is saying, he basically has his argument with his friends, and all his friends are saying, the reason this is happening is because you did something wrong. And Job's saying, but I didn't do anything wrong. And really, Job's right. The reason that it's happening is not because Job has done something wrong. It's because it's kind of like a test, basically. And what Job is saying is, I know in the end, I'm going to be, I know that I shall be in the right. He basically means, I know that I'll be, and a better way to translate this could be vindicated. I know that I will be vindicated in the end. And this essentially is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I know that Jesus is going to vindicate me. That I will be proven right in the end. Even though now I look like a fool. People look at me and they can see me and they can say, oh, well, you're a failure. Like, look at what's happening to you or you got imprisoned or, you know, you've been through all this kind of suffering and these trials. And kind of from a Christian angle, I know we understand that to be almost like glorified. But from a worldly angle, that looks like your life is bad, right? Like you're failing. You're not really succeeding a lot. You're not rich. You know, you don't have a lot of stuff. You know, where's your family? Like, where's these things that kind of the world values? They're going to look down on it from the view of the world. But Paul's saying, I don't care about that. I don't care about what the world says. I only care about Jesus. And what Jesus is going to say in the end is, I'm going to be vindicated. Focus on God's approval. We have God's approval in Christ. Whatever you've done, whatever has happened, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever sin is in your life, that's all wiped away by the cross, right? Last week, the Easter and, you know, Good Friday and all the kind of things that we celebrate, what we celebrate are the cross, that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, that he resurrected from the dead, and if we have faith in him, if we believe in him, then all of his righteousness covers all of our sin. So you have God's approval 
And that's what Paul focuses on. He thinks, well, I know that in Jesus, I'm approved. And in the end, I will be even more vindicated when I stand next to Jesus. And he's like, if I have that, why do I care about what anybody else thinks? Why would I care about what any other person thinks ever? Um, you know, some of you guys know this, but I spent, so during Lent, I was not on social media. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't look at Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any kind of social media, right? I didn't spend any time on those things. And for me, I generally, I, I didn't feel like I spent a lot of time on those kind of things, like those apps or websites even before. But I realized, actually, that I did spend more time or I was more invested in those things than I realized. Because there's this weird, like, habitual urgency that we feel to post things, right? Like when something happens in the world or when something happens in your life, it's like you feel this weird urgency. Like if you're at some kind of gathering or something, there's a weird kind of like, I have to post something right now. Like I have to post a story or I have to post a picture, like something. And, and there's, there's also that weird like time, right, after it's happened. I usually don't post things when they're happening just because I'm not used to it. But like, at the end of the day, right, that's usually when I post things. And there's this weird feeling that I get every time that's like, well, if today passes and I don't post this, then it's like weird if I post it tomorrow because then it's too late, right? It's like the time has passed. So it's like I really got to get this in right now. And then all of a sudden you start feeling this like – I start feeling this like anxiety about it. Like, oh, okay, I got to post this. What am I going to – what am I going to post? You know, like what is going to – dang it, I'm scroll, you know, I'm like looking for a good – picture and then you just edit it you know and then like caption you know whatever you're thinking about these things right and the thing is it was Micah's birthday right a couple weeks ago and that would normally be a kind of day where I'm like trying to get a good picture you know I'm trying to then I'll think about it and I'll post it you know sometime in the middle of the day and the rest of the day I'll be distracted by it like or people you know are they liking it you know what are the what's what's going on with this right and it's weird that we care so much about being part of this obligatory social ecosystem, right, where we're passing likes to each other and comments, you know, to one another, and we're living for this approval, the affirmation of men. I mean, we want to be seen. We want to be noticed. We want to be liked. We want to be admired. That is the basis. That is the, the kind of bottom-line basis for social media. It's disguised in the idea of connection, but it's really... What drives it forward is kind of self-glorification, right? That's, that's really why people care about it. Imagine that you didn't have anything to prove to anyone. To anyone. Not your parents, right? Not your kids, not your friends, not your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or just any strangers, people who are, you know, like there's your friends and there's your quote-unquote friends, right? Like you have like 50 friends and you have like a thousand quote-unquote friends. Imagine you didn't have to prove anything to anybody. So it didn't matter to anyone else how much money you made, what your job title is, what your relationship status is how good your pictures look or not. Anybody. That's what Paul has. 
That's why Paul can just live his crazy life pursuing the gospel. I don't care what happens. I don't care what anybody says. Who cares? What do, what do these what do these humans matter to me? I have the approval of God. The creator of heaven and earth. See, Paul's not talking about some cosmic, I told you so, right? He's not just thinking about like, oh yeah, one day, I know one day I'm going to be vindicated, I'm going to be delivered, and that means I'm going to be standing on the side of Jesus, and people are going to be over there, and I'm going to be like, I told you so, my life wasn't a waste. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying a couple things by implication. He's saying, one, living for the approval of people around you is a game you can't win. Nobody wins at that game. The game's rigged, and everyone feels like they're losing. But far greater than that, the reason this isn't just like, and I told you so to someone out there, is because the one that needs to hear I told you so is not someone out there. It's right here. That, that's who needs to hear. Like this in here, your heart, is the one that needs to hear the I told you so. Your heart is the one that needs to hear. You're vindicated in Jesus, not your performance. You're vindicated because of what Christ has done on the cross, not because of your job, not because of how much money you make, not because of what kind of car you drive, not because of your house, not because of your family. This is what needs to hear. You're vindicated because of me. And you need to hear that directly from Jesus. If someone out there, if that approval means more to you than God's approval in Christ, then all you can ever have is an incredibly volatile, fragile, momentary joy. You can taste it for a second, but it will be gone twice as fast as you ever got it. But you can have a deep, powerful, heart-stirring, resilient joy if it's in the approval of God in Christ. Paul writes this in, in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. He says, you know, to me, it's, it's a really small thing what you say. Like, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what any court says. In fact, it doesn't even matter what I say about myself. He says that is subordinated to what God says about me. And in the end, God will be the one to judge me. The approval of Jesus gives us far greater vindication than any we can find in this life. And that's how Paul lived his life, not trying or feeling like he had to prove anything to anyone. Just imagine that for a second, okay? Like somebody comes up to you and says, (laughs) like like the the idea of, because I'm going to put this in real terms, because you don't really realize what this means. Right? But the ability to be impervious to criticism from people. So somebody comes up to you and says, man, you're so lazy. Right? Like you happen to come late to church one day 
you know, for whatever. Like, like your tire just blew out and, you know, you got robbed, right? And you got like beat on the way in and then you come and sit down and you're like, you're like 10 minutes late and somebody's just, she's so lazy, right? And just like walks by, she's so lazy like that and just like sits down in their own seat. And what would you think, right? What? <laughs> Do you know what I just, you know what I just, I just went through? And by the way, in the morning, you were like feeding the homeless, right? And you were like, you know, adopting all the babies and you just like, you got them all in your house and you gave all your money away to charity. But imagine the freedom of not having to say that to them, right? To be criticized and to just be like, what do I care what you think? That's fine. You can think whatever you want. That's fine. It doesn't even bother me. Imagine that kind of freedom. Do you even know what you want to do anymore? We spend so much of our lives feeling like we have to do things. I have to do this for my mom or my dad or my brother, you know, or my friend. I have to do, I have so many obligations for work and, you know, for my family. I have to do all of these things. Do you even recognize your freedom? Someone says, you're a fool, you're a coward, you have no talent, you're incompetent. And you do not feel compelled to prove them wrong or even correct them. Because you know that that's not what Jesus thinks. This is what gives Paul undefeatable joy. He knows that no matter what anybody says, he cannot lose who he is in Christ because of Christ. Not because of him, because of Christ. And that's why he can live his life for Christ, not for himself. We don't have to serve Christ to earn his approval. We serve him because he's already given it to us. And it means more than anything else anyone else can ever give us. Here's the last point. Focus on the glory of Jesus. Focus on the glory of Jesus. This is verse 21. It says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now let's recap, okay? Paul says... Paul's in prison. He's imprisoned. He's in chains. He's under house arrest. And now he's thinking about what's better, to remain here or to die? Now, most of us would think about that situation and say, I am in a lose-lose situation. Either I remain in prison or I die. Those seem like two pretty bad things. Either I stay alive and suffer on this earth, or I die. 
But that's pretty much the opposite of what Paul thinks. He says, if I remain here in prison, then the churches will be encouraged. Everybody here is going to know the gospel. The gospel is going to move forward. And I, I'm fine because I have Jesus. And then he says, if I die, well, that's even better. Because I can go be with Jesus right now. And I don't got to deal with any of this stuff. I can go see Jesus face to face. And I will, I will be in his glory. Paul sees this. Being his choices, being either stay in prison or die, he sees that as a win-win situation. Because he so desires the full weight of God's glory in his presence that he thinks that's not only, this is not only win-win, it's like win-winner. You know, it's like either I win here and I just stay here in prison and I suffer and you know but the gospel goes forward and maybe it'll get to you know Rome and maybe it'll get through all these people to places where it hasn't been or I die and that's even better I get to see the glory of God face to face where does Paul's motivation and his confidence come from it's in the fact that he has already oriented his thinking toward the glory of Christ that's what matters most to him And this is really the heart of the other things, right? Because the glory of Jesus means so much to him, even death serves him. Now, I I saw, so I saw Avengers Endgame on Friday. Um, So we were like, we were like planning to watch it later. Like Boomy and I were planning to watch it later. And the thing is, and I really love, I really love, like, Avengers and, like, you know, comic book stuff. Like, I really, and I'm, I'm like, a serious nerd. Like, when I was little, I actually read comic books. I have a ton of them. We would go to Costco, which was, like, Price Club back then, and we would buy, like, a big bundle of comics, me and my brother, and we'd just, like, go through them. We'd read them. I used to actually go to my local, like, comic book store and, like, buy, like save up my lunch money, like, starve lunches and buy comics. Because that's how much I, I liked it, right? And so, and I've seen all the, you know, so I've seen all the MCU movies, many of them more than once. And so I go and I go to the theater. I went with my brother, you know, because Boomy was like, she's like, forget it. You just have to go watch it. <laughs> like, I don't care if I watch it, but you got to go watch it, like, like soon because you're not going to be able to survive. You know, so I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. And I'm like, basically she said that and I'm like, you're right. <laughs> like, that's true. So I go with my brother. We sneak out, like, late at night. It's like a, it's like a 1030 showing, right? So it ends at 130 in the morning, right? So we go there, and, you know, we watch it, right? And so I won't, spo- I won't spoil anything. And it's not, like, the best, it's not, like, the best movie I've ever watched or anything like that. But it was one of the most enjoyable and, like, emotional movies that I've ever seen. You know, because, and, and here's the thing, and people are in there, right? And I really, there, I've watched, like, five movies in the past five years. Because ever since we had kids, it's really hard to get out to watch a movie. And probably four of those movies were Marvel movies. And the reason I like watching those in the theater as opposed to, like, at home later is because I like being part of, like, everybody being there and them all, like, gasping at stuff and, like, yelling at stuff and, like, crying at stuff. People literally cry many times. During the, I didn't cry during the movie, but, you know, people are, like, doing that, right? Now, here's the thing. If you're one of those people that has never seen a Marvel movie, right, you're not going to care about this movie. 
Like, I'm telling you how much I enjoyed it and how much people in the theater enjoy it. But if you go and you've never seen another Marvel and you've never read a comic book and you don't know anything about these characters, you're going to go in and you're just going to be like, what is this stupid? Like, why are they flying around? You know, like, what is this all about? This doesn't make any sense. You won't care, right? You won't know any of the characters. You won't care when one of them, you know, gets hurt or something, disappears or dies or something. Like, you're not going to care. Who cares? You're not going to care if they win or lose. Like, you won't care about any of that stuff. People in the theater are cheering at cry- and crying at moments of a film that is not based on a true story. That's not even remotely related to reality in any way. This is a completely fictional world. Why do people even care? Because they've invested like 10 years of their lives in it. That's why. Like that's why people care, right? Because they've watched all the other movies. Because emotionally... They've invested themselves in these fictional characters whose sole purpose is entertainment and escape from the reality that we live in. And I'm not knocking that, right? Like, I'm, I'm, totally, I'm totally in it. I'm all about it. It's a 22-film, decade-long story. That's awesome, right? But the, how does that relate to you and your enjoyment of the glory of Christ. Let me tell you something, okay? The greatest preacher in the world can preach the greatest sermon of all time. And your enjoyment of it, your joy in that moment, will at least in part depend on your investment in Christ, in the glory of Jesus. Like, if you come to church and you think, my enjoyment is 100% dependent on, okay, let me say it differently. If you come in, because it's going to get confusing with the pronouns. If you come in and you say your enjoyment is 100% dependent on my ability or the praise team's ability or somebody serving their ability, then you don't get it. You're like a person who walks into Endgame never having seen any of the movies and then thinking, Why don't I enjoy this? If you barely know Jesus, you barely walk with him, and don't get this twisted. I'm not judging you if that's where you're at. That's fine. All I'm saying is your joy is going to be pretty dang weak because you already set your foundation on something else. It's it's mostly going to be dependent on something else, something unsteady, something volatile, something temporal, some job, some feeling, some person out there who can't do that much for you. And your joy in Jesus is not going to be that good. And your joy in Jesus is not going to be that deep. My encouragement is to invest in the joy of the glory of Jesus to spend time seeking that joy, that joy that you so desperately seek, the deeper, foundational, unshakable joy, one that doesn't have to go back and forth all the time. Seek that in Jesus, in the glory of his grace, in reading his word, in praying to him, in worshiping him, his discovering his providence, his plans, his commandments, stepping into them, obeying them, living for them. See, Paul was so invested in the joy of the glory of Jesus that even death was a path to joy for him. 
He looks at the reality of death, the fact that he could actually die. I'm not talking about something hypothetical that maybe might happen like a lightning bolt coming out of the sky. He's saying, I'm literally living my life in such a way that one day I'm going to get killed. And he did, by the way, for Jesus. He's saying, that's literally how I'm living my life. And if it does happen, I'll be happy about it. That's how much his joy was unshakable, resilient, strong. Because it was built on Jesus. He saw the joy in death. Even death served him. And if death serves you, then nothing won't serve you. If death, the end of this life, is for our benefit in Christ, then there is absolutely nothing in this life, past, present, or future, that cannot be turned to our benefit in Christ. That's the heart of Paul's joy. That's his secret. He sees the glory of Jesus in every situation he finds himself in. He's persecuted. He's suffering. He says, this is greater fellowship in Jesus. He says, this is going to be for my sanctification. This is going to move the gospel forward. My witness is going to be strengthened. He's mistreated. He sees the envy of others. He says, I don't care. Gospel's moving forward. He sees weak, his weaknesses and his own failings. And he says, when I'm weak, God is strong. He sees barriers. He says, oh, no, there's things in front of me that are preventing me from going where I feel like I should go. He says, God is directing me in another way. He's, he says also, this is going to be amazing when God actually breaks through this. And in the end, as I said, he dies for the gospel. And when he dies, like when his head was on the chopping block because he was beheaded, I don't doubt that he was happy. That's an insane thing to say. But I know in my heart that it's true. Church, where are you seeking your joy? Seek it in the advancement of the gospel. Seek it in God's approval. Seek it in the glory of Jesus. And I, I guarantee you that you will have a far greater and deeper and more unshakable, a more powerful, a more resilient joy that cannot be taken away by anything. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that you invite us into the kind of joy that is not wavering, that is not fickle, that is not volatile, God. The kind of powerful joy that even in the midst of struggles and suffering and our own weaknesses, God, that we can still have something, that we can still have someone to hold on to. Would you help us, Holy Spirit? Would you give us courage? Would you give us faith? Would you give us conviction to be able to step into that joy, God? Not one that's dependent on the approval of men. Not one that's dependent on, you know, our own personal advancement. Not one that's dependent on my glory, God. But one that's dependent on yours. And the advancement of your gospel and the approval that only you can give us. That 
can speak to our hearts, that can comfort us, that can make us know that we are loved and graced and forgiven by you, God. Would you even impart, we just ask humbly, would you impart that sense to us even now, God? We thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.